Welcome to Market Scale Healthcare. I'm your host, Sean Heath, and today I have the honor of having a conversation with Dr. Mohammed Shalan Beg, the Assistant Professor and Oncologist at UT Southwestern Medical Center, and Dr. Arjun Gupta, Chief Resident in Internal Medicine at UT Southwestern Medical Center. Doctors, hello. Thank you for joining me today. How are you? We're doing well. Thanks for having us. Tell me about the situation that caused your paths to merge into this recent collaboration. I think this all starts with um, with understanding what our barriers are in the clinic and what our needs are to help take better care of, of cancer patients. Um, so I'm, a, I'm an oncologist, I'm a medical oncologist. I see patients with abdominal cancers, with GI cancers. And um, one of the ways we treat our patients are with chemotherapy. And um, when we see our patients who are on chemotherapy, we, we want to get a sense of how they're tolerating their treatment, how their cancer is doing, how active they are, and what their, what their quality of life is on treatment. And, and I, I realized how hard it is to get a good grasp of how well our patients are doing. Um, you know, so if you have a, a 75-year-old lady who's, who's sitting there and says that she's doing well, um, when you, when you try to unpack what well really looks like at home, it, it, it can be very difficult. And, and you also see that patients and, and family members sometimes don't agree on, on how well um, their loved one is doing. And, um, and, and that's, a, that, that's a problem we grab, we've been grappling with for, for generations. I think physicians tend to over or underestimate how their patients are doing. They, they're biased either way, uh, one way or the other. And sometimes, Patients are, um, are, 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 are hesitant um, or unable to express or, um, or just can't give a good sense of what their capacity is like. They may have their own biases. They don't want to let the physician down or they may over-perceive symptoms which, which they're experiencing. So there's a big clinical need um, in oncology to get better tools um, to, to see how our patients are doing. And I ran into Dr. Begg as an internal medicine resident. Uh, I was always interested in oncology and, and wanted to do a fellowship in oncology and signed up for one of our inpatient rotations where a lot of patients with complications from cancer chemotherapy are admitted. And that's where I met Dr. Begg a couple of years ago. And uh, I was seeing patients all the time as a, as a resident and, and I didn't fully sort of understand their functional status at home they were severely deconditioned, but the oncologist's notes um, in, in the electronic medical record said that they were sort of doing okay. Uh, and they were sort of using um, subjective scales, such as the ECOG performance status, which assigns patients uh, on a scale from zero to four, uh, zero being doing really, really well, and four being that they're no longer alive. Uh, and I couldn't sort of, you know, coming in from the outside, sort of make a perfect connection between the two when I approached Dr. Beck that, uh, and he said he'd been thinking about this as well and how we could more objectively characterize patients and how well uh, or badly they were doing. And that's how I think this project was born. Now, uh, Dr. Bag, I know that you're quite the fan of physical fitness and that one of the things you really have a strong motivation for is being able to measure things. Um, whether that's your, I don't know, blood oxygen or your pulse or, you know, water weight, whatever you like being able to measure things that comes as, as part of being a, a clinical mind. It's really difficult, as you mentioned, to 
to find an accurate way to establish a standard of measurement when you're talking about a patient's definition of the word well. Tell me how you approach that. That seems like a monumental task. Yeah, it is. And and, and as clinicians, that's what we do. I think folks have a uh, they, they feel that an oncologist visit is, is very um, objective and quantified. It's about numbers and statistics and percentages. But but it's really all about relationships and, and, and quality of life. And, um, and, and we are trying to help our patients thrive for as long as they can, as well as they can. And, um, and when you have the human element of... Uh, subjectivity, it's really hard to try and do that. We try to do that through casual conversation. Uh, I try to kick off my office visits with my patients with open-ended questions and allow them to, to talk about what's on their mind. Um, and so sometimes that works, sometimes that may not work. Um, and and, and what the, the key points that I'm usually trying to hear are uh, I'm trying to I'm trying to picture the patient at home. All right, so they're getting up. Are they taking care of their their their, their breakfast? Are they able to go to the bathroom? Are they independent? Are they living by themselves? Do they have stairs at home? Um, what's the family situation like? Are there kids around or not? And so those are the kind of cues that that I'm listening to as the patients are talking. And and then that's tough. Um, it's not only tough and 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 what 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 Arjun mentioned that we don't always do a perfect job in in uncoding that, um, but um, it's it's uh, there, there's a real there, there's a real need there, and um, I, I think there are perceptive differences. Sometimes family members are not there. There could be a daughter in California who's trying to keep track of how mom is doing, and um, and 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 the office visit becomes a, a place where where everything converges and and the other stress which we're faced with in the medical field is physicians and, and, and providers don't have enough time to spend with their patients to tease all these things out um, that's a reality of modern day healthcare uh, we don't like to talk about it but it's there there are pressures um, to, um, to which are limiting the amount of time which a physician can spend with the patient. So we have to try and get to answer that question on how well our patients are doing and we have to get there fast. Um, and I think our existing ways, because we're pressed for time, sometimes force us to make wrong assessments. Uh, one point that I'd like to make is that, you know, with, with all these physical activity monitors and, and devices that we'll probably speak about in the next few minutes as well, um, I think there's a very real chance that it might appear that we're trying to depersonalize the visit and only look at statistics and numbers and steps per day. And that's not the idea at all. That's not the intent. The intent is to use that as supplementary data to make sure that our assessments are correct. So uh, it's, you know, and each patient is different. So a patient who's doing a thousand steps per day or 5,000 steps per day um, may be very, very different. And that may be their baseline. And we're also looking at trends and how this patient has evolved with time. And so I think it's interpreting this data in the right context and not just 
using three numbers that we can get from the device to make clinical decisions. You know, one thing I think with the advent of the personal monitoring devices, Fitbits, uh, pulse monitors, whatever uh, mobile device we can use, I actually see it as a way to increase the personalization of care. Because as you mentioned, every person has a different baseline. The trick is figuring out the baseline. And it seems like these um, wearables can serve such a, a, a great purpose in being able to help the patient stop worrying about having to keep track of everything. And they can focus on the mental and emotional aspects that have proven to be beneficial in in their own well-being and in improving their quality of life. You're absolutely right. You, you, I think you hit the nail there. And and as consumers, if we look at if you look around us, if you look at our friends, our families, or or or, or our, our personal lives, um, we are being measured. We're, we're we're our phones are collecting data. Our our refrigerators are collecting data. Our thermostats are collecting data. And and there's this tremendous amount of data that's being collected passively, which we can figure out how to bring that into the clinic. So physicians can get a sense of what someone's real life looks like at a glance. Yes, I think that's that's gonna really make things personal and then help us tailor the treatments to our specific patients. You know, I think that if every doctor who really loves being a doctor, if they could multiply themselves and they could spend all you know day with each patient, if they could assign a copy of themselves to every patient, they would love to be able to do that because that would allow them to really focus on the specific granular needs that each individual patient has. Talk to me about some of the metrics that can be gathered that allow a clinician to determine the perfect course or the better course of treatment for a patient. Tell me about some of the numbers that can be gathered that can help you from a caregiving standpoint. I think especially as oncologists, uh, as Dr. Beck mentioned earlier, that there's some things that we can uh, gather subjectively, and these are all sort of quality of life measures, and there's uh, different scales for that, um, sort of assessing what you can and cannot do uh, on your own. Uh, and that includes whether you're able to care for yourself, cook for yourself, do groceries. Uh, and I think all clinicians try to gather uh, this data from their patients at each office visit. Uh, it's particularly important, uh, as we said earlier, about trending this information um, especially for patients receiving uh, chemotherapy or cancer therapy outpatient. Um, uh, cancer patients also tend to be older and more frail in general compared to the, to the overall population. Uh, and so making sure that they can care for themselves is, is extremely important. Um, and, and the trick now comes into how we can harness the objective measures that we can get um, from Fitbits and similar devices and correlate them with these quality of life measures. Uh, and there's innumerable things that you can get now from these advanced uh, physical activity monitors. So pedometers, when they came out, could only tell you steps per day, and they were very sort of bulky. But now devices are much more sleek and can get you all sorts of automated information, uh, multiple measures of steps per day, uh, 
how much time you're doing moderate exercise or light exercise or extensive exercise, uh, the amount you've slept, uh, all of that information. And so I think one of the challenges in the future uh, will be how each of this is actually relevant because there's no point in collecting data uh, unless you can actually utilize it. And so one of the things that our study, I think, was able to do uh, is show that some of these simpler measures, especially uh, the least number of steps a person takes in a day, correlated really well with how they were doing uh, subjectively. So if someone was getting out of bed uh, or not getting out of bed, sort of taking that 800 steps per day, uh, really differentiated patients who were doing poorly on our subjective scales versus doing relatively better. So I I have to be honest with you. I've had a few doctor's office visits in my life, fortunately, fewer than most. And it's a very unnerving experience. It doesn't matter if it's just going in for, you know, a checkup at your 40th birthday, for example. It's really unnerving because we don't spend a lot of time, if we're fortunate, we don't spend a lot of time in that environment. And it's it's foreign to us. It's uncomfortable. There's a lot of uncertainty that creates fear and and anxiety. But I think if I knew that a lot of the information that my doctor needed, I didn't have to have it all memorized when I walked in. He has that information or she has that information because I was wearing my Fitbit or because I was, you know, doing this particular task as part of my daily regimen. I think that ultimately just leads to a better outcome. Absolutely. And and there are surveys which 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 will confirm what you're saying and you're not alone. Most patients don't mind their physicians or their 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 health systems seeing their data, I think the patients need to see that 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 their physicians are using that data and it's making their care better. Um, and and that's really where I think the next few years are going to go, and uh, and where we're going to see some really interesting stuff emerge, not just in the cancer field but outside of the cancer field as well. Um, and 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 frankly, till now has been missing. I mean, there are um, there are many centers that have um, used activity devices, dare I say, sort of in a in a gimmicky fashion as a as a publicity stunt. That come here and we'll, you you can get a Fitbit if you get your care here. I think the um, the, the applications are 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 much broader than. Well, let's talk about that. How how do you see the future of starting to integrate? these wearables into larger clinical trials? What's going to be the process? So the barrier isn't with, um, with, with the technology. Like, like you alluded to, these devices are measuring many, many factors. It's not just steps and sleep. It's your oxygen numbers. There are implantable devices that go into one of the large blood vessels in the chest, and they can measure um, pulmonary artery pressures. Uh, so the, the technology is there, <clears throat> and uh, what's missing is how we can get the data to to the doctors. Um, and um, th there are a lot of logistical concerns there. Um, I think for clinical trials, if we have a large trial that, let's say, it's enrolling a couple hundred patients, half the patients get drug A, half the patients get drug B, and we want to compare as part of the study 
how many steps one group ended up doing than the other because we feel that more steps means a healthier active patient. The, the logistics to getting the device to the patients, figuring out how the data is going to come off of their devices and flow into centralized database, which can then be linked with clinical outcomes. I mean, that, that's where the barrier is. We, 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 we were surprised to see a fairly large proportion of older patients didn't have smartphones or they didn't know how to use their smartphones or they were skeptical or they were suspicious. Um, we, um, I can give you an example of, uh, of one of the uh, individuals whose phone we were setting up to sync with the device. Um, she was a fairly young uh, professional female. Her, um, when we started to <laughs> try to download the, the Fitbit app onto her phone, her operating software was out of sync, uh, was, was out of date. We had a hard time connecting her to the, the hospital Wi-Fi. She didn't know her, um, uh, her Apple store uh, <laughs> password because her kids took care of all that. And it probably took us 45 minutes to download the app. Um, so there are these logistical things that, that come about, and that's for someone who is otherwise young and, and tech-savvy. Um, and when you compound that to, um, and when you add on older patients who may be, um, may be harder for them to, to, to embrace these technologies, you want to come up with a system that's plug-and-play, um, where you have a device which, which has a connection that will allow the data to transfer through so we can um, collect it and then analyze it. And there are a few initiatives out there. Um, I would love for us to start using wearable devices in clinical trials so we can use it as an extra tool to see how well our patients are doing. Right now, patients, um, right now we rely on, on, on physicians' assessments, which we just established isn't always perfect. And, um, and then there are tools. There are, there are questionnaires that are fairly lengthy. We're talking 40, 50 questions. It takes a lot of our patients' time to do that. For a lot of resources, you know, there's a, there's a, someone there with a coordinator there who's helping our patient uh, complete that. So there's a lot of uh, human resources that go into executing those, uh, th those surveys. And I think these, um, th these devices can add an extra layer of, of, of detail for the trials, which will really give us a better sense um, of, uh, of how we're going to do. And in the oncology space, I know that there are many innovative tools out there that are measuring really, really cool clinical outcomes. And you talk about some of those, but, but frankly, the one that matters the most in the cancer world is how active our patients are, how many minutes they're spending up and about. And, uh, and then that application will vary from one space to the other. It'll be different in the peds world, pediatrics world. It'll be different in the surgical world. It'll be different in the cardiology world. But for us, I, I think um, we are ready to embrace the tools that these physical activity monitors can can give us. And and Dr. Beck mentioned pediatrics uh, especially. You know, I'd like to point out a few other medical conditions where these devices are being used commonly as part of home management programs. So congestive heart failure, chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, very, very common conditions affecting uh, millions of people in America. And um, you know, our institution, for example, has a home-based program for these patients, and they're starting to incorporate uh, Fitbits and how these patients are doing because they need careful managing of their medications and titrating them based on their 
functional status. So, uh, and this also includes uh, handing some of the responsibility and handing some of the care back to the patient so that they feel empowered. So patients weighing themselves daily and changing their uh, medication dosage based on this and that correlating with their steps per day to figure out how they're doing more objectively. So I think the oncology world uh, is still young in this field, and, and I think we can move forward in a more prospective manner now. So as thought leaders in this space or really on this frontier of the the integration of technology into this particular application, what do you see on the near horizon that gives you hope that you're you're actually looking at the right path and, and choosing the right solution? So it's going to be an iterative process. I think there are many theories out there um, and there are many directions that this can take. I think we can broadly separate those opportunities into research opportunities to help improve the way we do research and clinical trials. And, um, and, and second, how we can use this technology to improve the regular day-to-day -day clinical care. Um, both of those need to be studied. Um, there is a whole world of implementation sciences, which, um, which can, which, which is looking at barriers to, 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 to these tools in being, um, employed in, in different populations. Um, and, and I expect the research world to probably be a little ahead of the clinical, um, space, but I may be wrong there. And we talked a little bit earlier on, on how trials are going to use that. But when we're talking about, um, if I stick with the cancer theme, um, uh, cancer prevention, or we would talk about exercise being given as a prescription for patients as a strategy to prevent their cancer from coming back. Um, you know, that the, we, there, these wearable devices can now be used to send signals to patients, um, to, to, to encourage them to, to get up and go. That has to be studied. Um, but so I think from the research perspective, the number of questions that we can ask that are going to be impactful are, are tremendous. Um, I'm most passionate about trying to use these devices in improving the way we evaluate newer medications because the cancer field is using drugs that have a lot of side effects. They can negatively impact a lot of our patients. Um, we don't do a good job in measuring those. Um, and, and I am optimistic that these devices will help us become better doctors. And I think even as clinical trials going forward, as Dr. Begg mentioned about, you know, physical activity or exercise being prescribed to patients, I think creating individualized exercise plans for patients, making sure that they're able to do them or at least gauge uh, how compliant they are with uh, these exercise regimens. I think Fitbits uh, or other devices have a role in that. You know, we prescribe medications to patients all the time, and we ask them whether they took their medications. But when it comes to exercise, it's often, oh, yes, I'm doing a little bit, or I went to the gym twice in the last month. Uh, so we're not doing a really good job of uh, capturing how much our patients are doing to actually affect their health as well, not just capturing how well that they're doing. Uh, so I think making sure that our patients get the exercise that they need is also an application of this going forward. And I think it'll be great if we can figure out how to, and, and people are figuring this out, if we can have these devices sync into electronic medical records, 
um, and, and and use that. I mean, the, the health IT spaces is, is is really taking off. And if in the next couple of years, the different medical record systems start talking to each other, and we have as part of that um, that that huge amount of data, we, we also have physical activity data or or passively collected wearable data. Um, the the, the insight that we can gain is, is, is going to be fantastic. Well, I want to thank both of you for taking time today to, to come on and, and chat with me. I will give you my solemn promise that I personally will get all of my steps in today. So that's one less thing for you <laughs> to have to worry about. And today I've had the pleasure and the honor of having a conversation with Dr. Mohammed Shalon Beg and Dr. Arjun Gupta. Thank you very much, doctors. I certainly appreciate your time and I wish you continued success. Thanks so much. I hope you have a wonderful day. Thank, Thank you very much for having us. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of our podcast. If you'd like to find out more or listen to previous episodes, go to marketscale.com industries. And if you have a chance, subscribe to the MarketScale publications for the latest articles, videos, and podcasts from your favorite industries.